As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Dominic Constant joins us now, head of macro strategy at Mizuho Americas. Dom, is this hike today the penultimate hike of this cycle? Uh, uh, it, well, it could be. <laughs> um, I mean, we're very close, I think, to the Fed uh, um, um, finishing. Um, I, I think the key message, though, is they can't kind of tell you uh, they're about to finish. They're going to obviously give a hawkish, hawkish message around that. Uh, and um, uh, they, they could either sort of, you know, in the second quarter, you know, declare an outright cause like the Bank of Canada, or they could keep it more uncertain in a way that almost say that, you know, we, we might be done, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, in the end, I think they're going to be done, though, uh, uh, you know, around 5%. So this could be the penultimate hike on the back of that. And Dominic, two ideas here. You made national, world, national, worldwide headlines, I should say, was super restrictive the last time you were on. Is this a Fed nearing or in a super restrictive phase? Uh, yeah, I mean, they are super restrictive. I mean, it kind of depends on how you look at inflation. And, and we, we, we look at it very carefully in, in, the, in a lot of different ways in terms of the impact of inflation expectations, wage price spirals, you mentioned earlier, and uh, dissecting it in terms of demand drivers and supply drivers. And when you sort of dig really deep, uh, and it, uh, I would argue the inflation story is looking very good. Uh, it is um, basically normalizing. Uh, we're, we're putting to bed the fears that inflation was in a whole new regime. And when you look at that, then essentially when you measure uh, a, um, a monetary policy in terms of restrictiveness, both in terms of real interest rates and financial conditions, uh, there's only one conclusion, and that it is super restrictive. And you mentioned NASDAQ doing well, etc. But uh, overall, financial conditions are still very restrictive. And uh, there is a danger uh, that as you squeeze out uh, the excess demand mm-hmm. and profit margins, you're in a hard landing before you know it. And that's why the Fed has to be quite careful of not pushing rates too high. Dominic. We're going to talk to Richard Claret, founder of DSGE. We're going to talk about the time continuum on the x-axis. The way I see it, and you mentioned this, is an extended period of rates here or a little bit above versus pushing rates up, up, up to a higher rate level. Can extended and can an extended Fed substitute for the migration to a higher, higher rate? 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think the point is uh, that um, uh, the idea of the soft landing versus high, uh, hard landing is like a sequencing. Uh, you can basically uh, do the soft landing, keep rates uh, 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 an extended period elevated. Um, but in order to avoid the hard landing, you need to scurry very fast to get back to um, neutral, which uh, we think, and the Fed certainly still thinks, is around 2.5%. And that's the story for 2024. Uh, so the danger is of uh, of uh, not doing extended, but just, for, for example, to keep on raising rates means you've just got much more scurrying to do uh, uh, at the end of the day and uh, with, with more risk, I would argue, of making a mistake that you can't move fast enough if you're already, you know, at, say, 6% funds. So it's basically staying around 5, getting to 2.5, that's doable. You do a bunch of 50 base point cuts in 2024. It's quite aggressive, but they can do that. And that way they avoid the hard landing. This isn't a choice of soft versus hard landing. It's a soft landing until it becomes a hard landing. And that's why the Fed needs to be very alert to that reversal in policy, uh, which we'd expect in 2024. Not this year, but 2024. Dominic, I'm feeling a little bit philosophical as we talk about Fed uh, communication and the market's response. If the Fed speaks and markets don't respond, did the Fed make noise, right? I mean, basically, if the Fed tries to give guidance, <laughs> stop laughing at me, uh, tries to give guidance, but the market doesn't sell off, is that actually effective in getting the Fed, stop, you're still laughing at me, in getting the Fed's uh, message across? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the, the, the Fed needs to get the bond market selling off. I mean, the bond market obviously is looking through all of this and discounting a pretty restrictive uh, policy stance in terms of rates. Obviously, it's the financial condition side of it. It's basically the dollar and uh, credit spreads and equities. Uh, so I think if there's too much of a sort of relief rally uh, in these things, then they can definitely push back uh, and they can and definitely sort of uh, try and jawbone financial conditions tighter uh, by introducing this uncertainty around maybe the peak in the funds rate, the uncertainty about how how committed they are uh, to actually a pause. Uh, and that's very that, that's very likely uh, they'll do that. I'm not sure they'll do that today. They, they could hint at that. Um, but it's certainly very likely in, in Q2 uh, or maybe in the March meeting uh, when uh, to do that. And I think Larry Summers, uh, you know, I, I mean, he, he said something sensible uh, uh, over the weekend in terms Shock. of maybe the Fed, <laughs> maybe the Fed shouldn't. Well, I said that very carefully. Uh, maybe the Fed shouldn't, um, you know, shouldn't recommit, pre-commit to, to, to hikes. And, and that's really, you know, would be an interesting thing if the Fed could perhaps have a bit more uncertainty around uh, you know, their policy going forward, even if they are effectively pausing with the benefit of hindsight. That's the line in the morning, Dom. Run. Oh, the show's I've, over. I've got the nothing left. Three, I've got nothing left for the rest hours. of the day. Put it up there. Come on, uh, Amy. Give, give me that banner, please. Please. Good morning, Professor Summers. And we look for the panel in London, Lawrence Summers and Dominique Costum. That'll be a great in bed. Don't worry about it. He's not woken up yet. Dominic Constant of Missouri Americas. Dom, thank you. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now joining us, <laughs> Jerome Schneider, who's better than good in the short-term space with PIMCO as well. No, Jerome, I'm not going to ask you about Tom Brady, but I am going to ask you what we've observed through the morning. What a January bounce. I guess you could take 4 5 6%. And I know, Jerome, you're sitting with your Bloomberg and your Monroe Trader annualizing that out as well. What's the now what for you after a January pop? Yeah, in reality, you know, what used to be just a handful of basis points is pretty substantial. And you're right, Tom, the <coughs> annualized returns you have in a single month now add up to something for cash that's something in the realm of, you know, four and a half to six percent, depending upon your strategy. That's an important factor to consider when you look at the landscape right now that's punctuated with economic uncertainty, potential for volatility. And we're at a crossroads right now where clearly the market is at an impasse with the Federal Reserve and where they're going. And so that's going to probably be reconciled over the next couple of weeks, months. And as it is, it doesn't necessarily portray to be a smooth ride. So we do still find value within that front end of the yield space within the, uh, within the, within the global bond world. Uh, however, I think it's what it, really the question is not necessarily where to be on the yield curve, but more importantly, it's a discussion of how much to allocate well, to fixed income in general, given the recalibrations yeah. we've seen. And Jerome, what's so important here is OBE, where you're overcome by events. And here, Jerome, and I'm speaking as a total hack, people in the mid-maturity decide they want to enter the Jerome Schneider space and you get price up, yield down, where it's no fun for you. Are you going to be overwhelmed by people's running, dashing to short term? Well, there's actually pretty much a tremendous supply of that. And I think it's sort of met on two folds. Number one, you have the, of course, people looking for moving from lower yielding investments now that they're aware that there is attractive op options in cash. But there's also significant opportunities that persist. And it's really typically outside the traditional landscape of money market funds and T-bills. It's more in buying short dated asset backed securities, high quality commercial paper, things that really have self-liquidating features, and, but yet remain fairly insulated to where we are in the global economic cycle. That's the key. But I do think that there is an overall focus right now where people have shunned for more than the past decade an overallocation to bonds. And that really gets to the point right now of instead of a discussion of where on the yield curve to be, despite the discussions of where we are with the Fed today, it's more about how do you want to create a more balanced portfolio given the yield enhancement that we can see for portfolio performance more broadly. The shift in tone, Jerome, uh, that you have right now is telling to me because you were one of the most popular people, I'm sure, in the investment world about six months ago when everyone was flooding to cash. And it was all about the appeal of cash as an income-producing instrument. Now it's fixed income is an appealing uh, alternative to other mm. assets, perhaps in a way that they haven't been. Does that indicate that people are moving out of cash at a really rapid pace and going into other either denominations of credit or equities? Well, not necessarily. And I think what is still prevalent in people's mind is, is sort of getting, getting a little bit stung by the third rail of, of volatility within the broader marketplace. People obviously don't really dismiss what happened in 2022 so quickly. And more importantly, when they see periods of risk off, 
there is a mindset now, even in the retail investor, to be very focused on how much volatility your portfolio is going to produce during those uncertain times. And so while people right, might, might seem opportunistic or perhaps see a softer landing given the real data we've seen over the, real, uh, over the recent past, the reality is you're not seeing that risk appetite being as pervasive as it once was, <coughs> specifically because that inciting action was driven by extremely low yields. That has a factor that's recalibrated people's expectations to create a more balanced approach to how they handle risk. And again, focusing on the volatility within their portfolios, whether institutional investors or retail investors for that matter. So flows continued uh, that you have observed, at least, into your funds and into the fixed income space at the same clip that they did, say, a month or two months ago? Yeah, no, I think what we're seeing is sort of a pause right after the year end. People are really sort of accepting the fact that you know, these higher yields are, 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 are still here to stay. They're taking that initial step into perhaps money market funds. Some T-bill supply has come and that's sort of being met with some initial demands. But we are seeing people utilize this as a more strategic approach front-dated fixed income, low-duration type of strategies, things really within the zero to five-year part of the yield curve are really sort of giving people an opportune set to create that balance. What I think is important right now is there's a natural tension within the market, a tension which is that the market is clearly trying to forecast and get ahead of the prospective Fed cuts that might come from a historical perspective. The market is fixated that that comes. But that's a probability-based event. And what I mean by that is that there's an uncertain action that when right. you look at market pricing, says there's a certain probability that it'll be assigned to it. It doesn't mean with 100% certainty there's cuts on the way at all. It's just a probability that it, uh, that it would happen. What's more important, though, is that the Federal Reserve is operating from the next chapter of that playbook from a historical perspective. True. And they're fully in mind that there's lasting damage from inflation. What it means for the investor is that there is going to be some reconciliation. That reconciliation isn't necessarily as painless as people right. might portray, even if we do get that soft landing, Tom. Jerome, Lisa from Fargo emails in. Thanks for watching, Lisa. And Anytime. she says, does a guy like Jerome Schneider care about the debt ceiling? Do you care? Yeah, <laughs> of course we care. Of course we care. But it's a little bit too early. It's the prelude to the actual act and not that we're forecasting any default situation, although that is a, a potentially remote uh, situation that we have to be prepared for. This is not really a discussion for today or tomorrow or even yeah. March or April. It's well into the summer. Yeah. And I think that we have a good playbook on how on how it happens. For our point of view, where we say right now is really focused, not uh, obviously say on the Fed today, but more over the past over the next six weeks where we're going to be getting, frankly, more important messages from the Fed in terms of the summary of economic projections in March. And so the march toward March is really where we, where we can see a little bit more definitive posturing in right. terms of the broader market impacts. The debt ceiling is not something du jour that we have to worry about, um, perhaps, perhaps being trumped by the Tom Brady news. Uh, Jerome Schneider, thank <laughs> you so much for that comment on Mr. Brady. He is with PIMCO. Joining us now, Christian Muller-Glissman, the Managing Director for Portfolio Strategy over at Goldman Sachs. Christian, a simple one for you. Are you expecting Chairman Powell to deliver a little bit of pushback later on this afternoon? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think uh, you, you mentioned it earlier already. Um, it feels like the data has been quite supportive and, and you're making progress. I think the wage inflation is coming in, the services inflation is coming in. I think um, you are on, on track for a soft landing. Certainly markets are shifting in this direction. So it seems to be like everything is on track. Um, so we expect him to um, reiterate the message he has given before. We expect three more 25 basis point hikes and um, probably a relatively balanced meeting. You mentioned it earlier. To me, the macro data will be much more important. Um, I think the central banks are probably a bit in state of course mode. 
Uh, Christian, we talked to the head of the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund yesterday, who's got an immense challenge moving the needle because of his mass, his size. Many of us don't have that problem. Do we want to be index-based or more choosy, skew to a lower R-squared, more actively managed? Listen, I think, as you know, in the last cycle, uh, it was fine to be in indices. I think the market cap weights were in your favor, both in global indices with the U.S. being the largest uh, market and within the U.S. um, with tech being the largest weight. And what we've been saying for some time is um, that in the next few years, stock picking will get more important, not the same sector leadership, not the same style leadership, and not the same regional leadership. So it means you have to be a bit more active. Christian, Looking forward, I know Goldman Sachs has the view that oil prices are going to go up. What trade does that challenge that we saw really in vogue during the month of January? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's the big conundrum. Um, everybody's uh, starting to believe the soft landing is happening and China is reopening and Europe is avoiding uh, the energy crisis and the recession as a result. Um, but the oil price hasn't moved And I think it's in my kind of category of of good news becomes bad news risks um, because both rates haven't really followed in the in the optimism and the commodity prices, in particular oil. So if they start following, it further cements that uh, kind of growth is fine narrative. And that eventually means that good news might become bad news because central banks have to react. So I think the reason why oil hasn't reacted as much might be related again to the winter because of less gas to oil substitution and because there's probably still a lot of kind of oil floating around um, uh, with regards to Russian oil, um, which is being discounted. But I think net net, it's been a big uh, lag. Christian, would you then lean against this long euro trade that we've seen, long European equities trade that has really dominated all of January? I think generally we prefer non-US versus US markets for all kinds of reasons. I mean, non-US equities are cheaper. There's more runway economically. There's more slack. Um, So you have like a European manufacturing slowdown. You have exposure to China. Um, So I think generally it feels like um, Europe had uh, a bit of a better asymmetry, both from a valuation point of view and where you are in terms of growth, there's more more room to improve. The challenge you have now is the repricing has been incredibly fast. So if you look at risk premium credit, um, like uh, European credit versus US credit, cyclicals versus defensives in Europe compared to the rest of the world, and, and also the equity risk premium, you've taken out a lot of that discount in a short period of time. I think momentum can continue to be positive and risk premium are seldom a good market timing tool. Like short term, you always want to follow momentum. Um, and in the more medium term, uh, valuations and asymmetry matter more. So in the near term, we, we're, we're reasonably constructive on Europe. Just quickly, Christian, how far do you think this ECB takes interest rates? So we have the terminal rate at 3.25. Um, and that's two more 50 bips and then another 25 bips hike. And I mean, it's already quite amazing uh, um, where we have gotten to considering for negative rates. Um, But I think the fact what we're learning here everywhere in the world is that we are not as addicted uh, to to, to low rates as we thought. Um, There is a certain um, ability to deal with higher rates. And we know that in Europe, that historically has always been a bigger question mark because of sovereign debt concerns. Um, and we'll have to see um, how, how, how that kind of comes back. But as of now, Italian BTP spreads have come in um, and yeah. you are in this positive growth momentum phase. So I think 3.25 is the base case. 
and depending on inflation normalization, of course, um, there's there's kind of risks to to both sides. The deposit rate right now, 2%, maybe 125 basis points still to go. Christian, thank you. Christian Muller-Glissman there of Goldman Sachs. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. One of the great fears of academics on the island of Manhattan this year has been to audit Professor Cohen at Columbia Business School. Joining us now as she rockets out of a term into tests and grading, Abby Joseph Cohen, of course, a nodding acquaintance with Goldman Sachs and Professor Columbia uh, Business School. Are you enjoying it, Abby? I mean, is this like a whole new life for you where you're going you're gonna to be there till you're emeritus? I mean, is that where we're heading? Good morning, Tom, and good morning, Lisa. Um, I'm having a great time uh, at Columbia. The students are absolutely wonderful. About half of them are from outside the United States, and they're all extraordinarily well prepared. Uh, Most of them have worked uh, before they've come to business school, and so these are people who are really committed and and focused on what they're doing. Let us talk about a paper you did. I don't know if you dragged it out for your students and punished them, CFA Institute, where you brought some Greek philosophy to Columbia Business School. And what Aristotle suggested in your iconic paper is get off the wagon of believing every data point. Tell us what's suspect right now. What's the humility we and the chairman have to bring to scanning every tea leaf? Um, Fabulous question and a very timely one, Tom. Um, Right now, I think there's so much focus on U.S. data among U.S. investors, we have to recognize that the Fed is also looking internationally. Um, and they're looking at the trends there, both with regard to economic growth and inflation. Um, and then, of course, there are the concerns about what happens to the data in China. Uh, people don't quite trust uh, those data. Um, and so when we turn our attention back to the U.S., you know, it's our employment data. But today alone, we're going to be getting the JOLTS data, which will be a very important uh, element of what we look at. And, of course, the Employment Cost Index information, uh, which is critical. Um, When I think about what I worry about most right now in terms of too much instant analysis, it would be the company reports. We're in the middle of earnings reporting season. And what we know from history is that in periods when the market has been down, Companies will take a look at those fourth quarter results and say, you know what, let's take some reserves, let's throw in the kitchen sink. It clears the slate and gives them a lower base from which to work uh, for the subsequent year. So I wouldn't read too much into the fourth quarter results, uh, particularly when they seem to be 
you know, throwing in all kinds of uh, disappointments that they knew about for a long time. Um, and, and I'm much more focused on economic activity going forward. Have we priced out free money from equity valuations, Abby? Uh, to a very large extent. You know, we saw that happening during the course of 2022, Lisa, when we saw PEs in general going down. But the segments of the market, not just in the United States, but outside as well, were basically the high beta, fast growing areas that really depended on low interest rates for the low discount rate, it gave the valuation. So, you know, we saw it here in technology stocks, other growth areas, but we also saw it in emerging markets, particularly in the first half of last year. And by the time we got to the third quarter, I think that investors were looking at this revaluation, let's call it the devaluation of some of these growth areas and saying there may be some opportunities there. It's one of the reasons we have seen some of these non-U.S. markets outperforming the U.S. market, even though our market has been doing quite well. And of course, we've now seen some movement back in to the fast growing companies here in the U.S. When we teach this segment, when you teach this segment in history, talking about zero rates, even negative rates for more than a decade, uh, at least in Europe, and the unwinding of it ending with a whimper. Can you write the book that it was successful that this economy extricated itself from these low rate policies without a financial collapse? Um, we don't know yet, uh, but clearly it looks like we are moving in that direction, but we're not finished. And it's not just looking at the economy, it's also looking at financial products. Um, and here I do have concerns because we don't yet know uh, what the results were in 2022 for lots of the very leveraged um, products, including private equity. We don't quite know what the impact will be on the economy of the reduction in capital available uh, to venture uh, investments and so on. And I also think that some active managers mm -hmm. who were okay but not great, who levered up their results so they turned a dime into you know, a quarter uh, as they reported to, in, to their, their clients, we don't yet know what the full extent of the damage uh -huh. is. Abby, what I think is so important here, and it goes to the body of your work. We just all enjoyed the carnage of 2022, whether it was 60-40 or SPACs, you name it, all the stuff that was invented at Columbia Business School. Abby, we've all got to regroup, and the hallmark of Joseph Cohen analysis is you've got to be in the game. I want you to talk now to the people that are all cash or near all cash or even in bonds away from the equity markets. Speak to them right now. Well, many of the individual investors, of course, have to consider other things like their tax situation, their risk tolerance and so on. All of my work, Tom, as you know, has been focused in on institutional investors. Um, and I think that we have seen this revaluation of assets in 2022 that makes me far more comfortable than I was, say, nine or 10 months ago. Um, we're you know, for, for bonds 15 to 18 months ago, when I thought bonds were incredibly overpriced, that is yields mm. were too low. And we've now seen a very significant change. The Fed, like everyone else, I assume will be doing a small increase this right. year. But most of what they're going to be doing, I think has now occurred. They might do a little bit more, but after we've already seen six right. extremely large rate increases, most yeah. of the damage has occurred to bonds. So that looks like 
your opportunities. Well, Abby, I'm running out of time. And of course, the revaluation yeah. in equities makes them more appealing than they were a year ago. I got to squeeze this in, Abby. It's so important. The risk-free rate is back. Taleb says we've got gravity back in the system. How do the zombie companies, the never-been-profitable companies, weak-free cash flow companies, how do they work out in 2023? Um, I think there will be failures. I also think that good private equity investors may see opportunities, but I also think that M&A activity, strategic M&A from successful companies, uh, will be taking a look at some of these operating assets and figure out ways that they can acquire uh, and improve uh, the, the, the underlying margins. What I worry about in terms of going through the year really is the potential um, for the the debt crisis, uh, the debt ceiling crisis to become real. Um, and, and the reason I'm worried about it is I take a look at some of the people uh, in the Republican Party who've publicly stated they think it's okay if the U.S. goes into default. Um, that, to me, suggests a big problem. And the meeting I'll be watching today, right. in addition to the FOMC, is the meeting at the White House between President Biden and Speaker McCarthy. Uh, Abby, thank you so much. Professor Joseph Cohen at the Columbia Business School. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Plumber. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.